we do not follow a philosophy, but we follow a God who identifies himself as the resurrection and the life. First he declares it, then he demonstrates it. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Joy is not found. Please hear me. I love you. Please hear me. Joy is not found in the manifestation of the answer to your prayer. Joy is found in belief in Jesus regardless of the outcome of your prayer. This is Sozo Church. Uh, We're in this series, this campaign we're calling Turn Your Eyes, uh, Seeing Jesus in High Resolution. It's our our goal in the midst of of this uh, series is to really just take the first part of the year and to really... um, exaggerate our focus on Jesus. Now, let me be clear in something. As a, a preacher, as a communicator, as a pastor, as somebody who stands up here week after week and, and gets the amazingly mind-blowing privilege to me of opening God's word and teaching it to God's people, um, my primary goal is to show you Jesus every single week. I may may have other goals and secondary kind of objectives to it, but let me be bluntly clear in something. They all pale in comparison to that. I believe that if if God wrote a book, which we believe he did, we call it the Bible, 66 books, 40-something authors, um, that that the star of this book is God. Amen? Any Christians in the room, I need help. Um, so so we, we believe that, and, and if, if, if God wrote this book, and God is the star of this book, as we open this book, we should see Jesus clearer and clearer, week in and week out. It is my objective every time we open the scriptures to see Jesus, so I don't want to miscommunicate anything with this series, kind of focusing on that to think like, okay, so we're seeing Jesus now, and, and when the series ends, we'll, we'll move on to something else. Listen, always, only Jesus. We have a little saying around here, we've been saying it for quite a while, that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, that he is is the pinnacle of history, he is the point of all of this, and my goal as a preacher is to magnify Jesus. We've talked about this in the past, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but what I mean by magnify is not is not microscope magnify. I'm not talking about taking something that's small and making it seem big. What I'm talking about is telescope magnification. I'm talking about seeing something that's very, very big and at a great distance and helping us see it in higher resolution, helping us see details in the character and nature and attributes of God that we would otherwise miss. That's my goal. So as we open up the word today, as we, as we look into the word today, we are here to see Jesus. If you came here for anything else, you are going to be disappointed. I got nothing else for you. So with that being said, I want to grab a hold of where we were last week. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, you can turn to John chapter 11. It's where we'll be launching this morning, um, John chapter 11, but I want to kind of touch on something that we said last week because I think it dovetails 
with where we're going this week. Last week I said that God had a purpose. God has a purpose, not had. He still has it. God has a purpose. It will be fulfilled and it cannot be stopped. I know you all remember that because you're great and you'll always remember everything I say. And um, it's a joke. It's okay. You can laugh. It's all right. We're alive, which means we're breathing, which means we can laugh. So um, we, we, uh, we, we saw last week that God has a plan He's not just kind of knee-jerk reacting to things. He's not kind of haphazardly stumbling around in the dark, but rather he has purpose in himself to accomplish things, and those things will happen, and they cannot be stopped. So you can take great solace. The child of God ought to take great peace and rest in knowing that whatever is come your way is designed and orchestrated by God for your good and his glory. God has a plan, and that plan is for the, for the increase, the extension, the magnification, the, the spread of his kingdom and his glory. Now, I want to just be blunt about this. That is the purpose of God, period. God, I'm going to step on somebody's toes. God is for God. So I thought God was for me. No. <laughs> God is for God. I think of Psalm 23 where it says that he he leads me, he guides me for the sake, come on, of his name. He does these things. Now, here's why I want to go here. Because we're going to hit into a passage that is full of very visceral, of very real, of very deep, of very actual emotion that if we, if we ignore and just try to glaze over or try to flannel graph, then we will miss the whole point of all of this. And what we need to understand is this. God is all about his glory. Now, let me explain that and unpack that before we jump into this. If we believe... That God is the singular, most significant, most valuable, most precious, come on, most beautiful, most glorious, most faithful, most holy being in all of existence. That his value compared to the value of everything else massively, amazingly, abundantly exceeds the value of all other things. Do we believe that or not? You pile everything in all of existence, in all of creation, everything that was, everything that that is, everything that will be, and you pile it on one side of a scale, and you put God on the other, the scale, come on, does not even begin to tilt away from the value of God. Do we understand that? Help you see Jesus. If we believe that, we also must believe that we ourselves are finite limited. How many hours a day do you have? Because I got 24. I've been begging God for more, but he won't give me any. 24 hours in a day, finite, which means this, anything in your life that is not Jesus is of lesser value than what could be in your life. So God's jealousy has a dual nature. Yes, it's a jealousy because he understands his own value, but it is also a jealousy that you and I, please hear me, benefit from. Because he wants the best in your life. And listen to me, that's him. Your best life now (laughs) has nothing to do with what car you drive, with what house you live in, with how big your bank account is, with how healthy you are. It has everything to do with how much of Jesus you have. 
And here's what I need you to understand before we jump into this passage. If you value, or if you place the value, or if you, if you try to, maybe a better way to put it is if you, if you use the scale of healthy, wealthy, and wise as to how much God loves you, you will always be skewed in your understanding of his love for you. Always. Always. Because you'll always have less than somebody else. And you'll always have more than somebody else. So in some weird world, you are loved more than other people and less than other people. And you'll constantly be trying to, to, to work this juxtaposition of, of how can I get more of God's love? That, that is not the point. What we're going to see here is that God has a purpose and it is for his own glory. And by it being for his own glory, it is fundamentally for our good. So John, chapter 11, I... I I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with um, this passage a little bit because it's a very lengthy story, and I want to focus on maybe the, the least um, culturally understood portion of this story and minor on the, the more understood or the more recognizable portion. This is the story of, of a guy named Lazarus. Now, I can say that term, there's even a, I've never watched it um, There's even a movie right now that came out a few years ago where that used that title, Lazarus, as a a way of talking about people coming back from the dead. This story has permeated culture, and we kind of already know that Lazarus was dead and then he came back to life, but but we need to not skip over the middle part. The Bible says, and we're going to read this, he was dead for four days. Those are four real days. So what I want us to understand here is this. Jesus is told in, in chapter 11, verse 1, he's informed by, by Mary and Martha that Lazarus is ill. He's informed that Lazarus is sick. He's going through some stuff. There's, there, there's sickness there. I want to pick it up on verse 4. We're going to read, just catch me here. We're going to read, for those of you who have you know, one of these newfangled printed copies of the Bible and find it a little bit more difficult to bounce around, we're going to read verses 4 through 6, and then we're going to jump ahead uh, to... Uh, Verse 16. So four through six says this, but, but when Jesus heard it, heard what? Heard that Lazarus was ill. When he heard it, he said, catch this please, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he rushed, dropped everything, and ran there to make sure that Lazarus was healed. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm making stuff up. It's not what the Bible says. It says he loves loves them. So, verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. The purpose, the point, the mission The goal, can I use this word, the plan of God in this story has just been laid out for us in in those verses. If If you miss that, this whole story seems cruel and mean and selfish. But if you catch this and if you believe this, it's like, if anybody remembers cameras that actually had lenses that you had to focus manually. It's like turning that, that lens and focusing everything. These verses put in focus the rest of the story. So we're going to jump ahead now. What, what happens, I'll, I'll fill you in. We're going to jump to verse 16. What, what happens in the midst here is that Lazarus dies. And so Jesus tells his disciples, look, we're, we're going to go see Lazarus. He's fallen asleep. 
His disciples freak out because the people that live in the area where Lazarus lives, lives have, have been trying to kill Jesus. And so they say, Jesus, look, we, we shouldn't go there. It's dangerous for you there. It's not, it's not smart. Jesus, let us help you out. Your plan is bad. Let us fix your plan. You shouldn't go there. You're going to get killed. And Jesus says, listen, you don't understand. Lazarus is dead. We're walking in the daytime. Nothing's going to happen. We're fine. Let's go there. He says that Lazarus, he tells his disciples, I love this, I have to throw this in. He tells his disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they're like, well, if he's sick and he's sleeping, that's a good thing. Why are, we, why, are we, why are we risking our lives to go wake up a guy who's asleep? If he's sick, come on, mom told us when you're sick, go take a nap. Right in our house, if you tell me you're tired, that you're not feeling well, we're, we tell you, drink a glass of water and go take a nap. It's like solves every problem in our house. We pray for our kids too. And we tell them, drink a glass of water, go take a nap. And Jesus, had, the Bible even says, like, they didn't get it. So Jesus had to plainly tell them, he's dead. So we pick up the story in verse 16 after Jesus tells them that he's, uh, he's going back. Verse 16. So Thomas called the twin. Highlight, underline, circle that. We're coming back to that. Don't have time right now, but we're coming back to that. So, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been, dead, had been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. In other words, she got away from the crowd and met with Jesus. And Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I, I know that, that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, please hear this. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though dead, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her, that is Mary, in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, hear this again, hear, hear, same heart, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. I, I'm going to get back to this, but catch this, please. That does not mean what we think it means. Deeply moved moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they, they said to him, Lord, come and see. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. 
But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind men also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out. The man who had died came out. Thanks, John. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your powerful and amazing and significant word. And I ask God today that you would unlock your word to us, you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our understandings. God, give us ears to hear and a heart to receive what it is that you would say to us today in this moment and in this time. God, I rejoice and thank you and praise you and stand in awe of all that you have done in the past and I stand full of faith and hope for what you will do in the future. But in this moment, at this time, I stand in desperate need of your word and your presence with us here in this place. So we ask, God, that you would speak. Speak to our hearts and speak to our souls. Let life come to dead places. For your glory and for your name and for your renown, God, let us obey your word. Let us be changed by it. Let us be doers and not hearers only in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. I love movie previews. Anybody else love movie previews? Anybody else had the experience that I've had of loving the movie preview better than the movie? Anybody ever feel disappointed by the movie sometime? You're like, that wasn't even the same movie as the preview. Kind of feel the same way. I love to read. And, uh, and, and back when magazines used to be printed instead of on tablets, I remember reading magazines. And you'd read an article sometimes and it would say, this is taken from this book. So I'd rush out and I'd go buy the book and I, it was like the, the article was the movie preview. The article was better than the book. Previews have this great way of, of, of kind of, if they're done right, of exciting you for something that's about to happen, but also explaining to you, kind of giving you a glimpse and showing you a little bit about what's gonna take place. And I believe that this story is Jesus trying to give us a preview of our salvation, of the salvation that would be brought to us and purchased for us and made actual for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And also it's a preview for us of what will happen to you and to me if our faith is in Christ and we have been redeemed at the end of the age where the kingdom comes and we are resurrected and come on, we are united with him free of this broken, busted world. It's a preview. It's a trailer. So as we look at this, I want us to kind of see a few things. I want us to highlight on a few people. I want us to understand kind of where Mary and Martha, and, and, and in, incorporated with that, even though he's not really 
in the story much, though he's a part of the story, Lazarus. And I want us to see the Jews and how they kind of react to all of this. And I, I want to try to, to, to peel off and to, and to dust off a story that is thousands of years old and, and try to help us, if we can, get back to this. Because I believe as we see Mary and Martha and what they're going through and, and the Jews and kind of their response, and, and, and I'm going to sneak him in here for you, Timothy or, or Thomas, rather, and then what he kind of goes through and his emotional response. And then above all and, above all and, and beyond all, I want to show us Jesus, but my hope is that we will see that we don't get to be Jesus in this story. And I want to try, if I can, try to help us identify honestly which one of these people we really are. Are we the dead guy in the tomb that hasn't heard Christ call us yet? Are we the people whose dreams have, been, have died and have, have been put away and that we're afraid if we even open it back up and even try to go back there, even try to remotely uh, uh, peek back into those places that it'll just create a stink? Come on. Are we the skeptics kind of standing afar off and going like, what would God completely failed? What's the point of this guy anymore? Or are we brokenhearted Thomas? Verses four through six, we already said this sets up the whole story. His purpose, we can't miss this. His purpose in this illness is not that it would lead to death, but rather that it would lead to the glorification, the exaltation, the magnification of God. Because he loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Try to connect those two ideas for us here real quick. What he's trying to do here is this. Martha, Mary, you're going to go through some stuff. And the reason I'm putting you through this stuff is so that you will know that I love you. In the midst of all of this, in the, in the trial and the pain and the suffering and the, and the difficulty and, and, and the four come on, worst days of your life, that when you get to the end of this, it will all be worth it because you'll see my glory and you'll know me and you'll know I love you. It's all going to be worth it in the end. So we see Jesus coming and declaring himself to Martha, declaring himself, what, as the resurrection and the life. Martha and Mary meet Jesus with questions and confusion and hurt and misunderstanding, and they're not, they're not seeing what he explained to his disciples in 4, 5, and 6. They're not, they're not getting that. All they see is, look, we sent you a text, and you never replied. We told you we were going through stuff. I called you. I left you a voicemail, and you never showed up. I, want, I don't have time this morning to play patty cake. I came to the altar. I got prayed for. Nothing happened. You failed. If you'd been here, things would be different. But since you weren't, everything fell apart. If you'd been here, they couldn't see his purpose. Can I, can I level with us? Neither can we when we're in those places. Don't, please, 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 please. Don't try to be a Jew in this, in this story. Don't try to be an onlooker. If you'll allow yourself to be honest, if you'll allow yourself to be real, if you'll allow the scriptures not to just be read, but to read you, 
and put yourself as Mary and Martha, you'll get something out of this. If you try to stand back and, and judge Mary and judge Martha, you'll miss the whole point. No, I, I, I don't, Jesus, I don't understand. I'm hurt, I'm confused, and I have utterly lost sight of your purpose and your plan in the midst of ouch. Jesus, it, it, it's clear here, felt what they were feeling. It talks about him being moved deeply. It talks about him weeping. It talks about him being troubled. But I need us to understand something here. Jesus declares to them that he is the resurrection and the life. We've been hitting this every week. I'm gonna hit it again. In him saying he, he is, when he identifies himself, when he declares, I am, he, he's not saying, I have. Most other spiritual teachers in the world say, I have. I have good teaching for you. I have understanding for you. I have, I have a new way of life for you. I, I have a new secret for you. I have a new understanding of how you can live your life. No, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't have the resurrection and the life. It's not that I'm gonna give it to you from myself. It's that I'm going to, please hear me, I'm going to give you myself. What did we say earlier? If you have anything in your life other than Jesus, it's diluting Jesus. We're finite. We don't have the capacity for infinite, infinite storage. So Jesus here is trying to get to this place where he's saying, I want to give you me, Martha, Martha, open your eyes. I'm right here, right now, with you now. Why are you, why are you focusing on what's not? Why aren't you focusing on I am? I did this so you would know that I love you. I'm not out of control. I didn't, I didn't get busy and forget you. I, I didn't, I didn't kind of lose track of time and forget what you said. I, I know that he was, I knew that he was sick. I, I know that he's dead. I know I'm here for this. I am the resurrection and the life. Don't, don't wait till the end of time for some by and by pie in the sky glory that awaits us. I'm here right now. And I'm here to show you my glory. And I'm here to show you my love. I know you're hurting. I know, it, I know it's not fun. I know it's difficult. But listen to me. If, if the end of the road leads to more of me and more of my love in you, then isn't the road worth it? Now, I, 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 can't, I can't get away from this because I will confess, I originally wrote down in my thoughts, Jesus this is kind of my thought. And if this is where you are, I don't believe, please hear me, I don't believe there's enough clarity in the original language that the Bible, the New Testament, this book was originally written in Greek. There's not enough clarity in the manuscripts that we have to, to be dogmatic about what I'm about to say. Okay, let me just level the playing field here. But I'm going to tell you where I was at the beginning of this week. Jesus wept because he emotionally connected. He was empathetic to them. They're going through hard times. It's really difficult. And I had this whole great speech about how Jesus felt the emotion but didn't take his eyes off the goal. Had verses to back it up. It was great. <laughs> but as I studied more, and as I looked into, and I'm, I'm not going to bore you with a, a Greek word study, like six of you are disappointed, the rest of you are very happy. I know, because the six of you, every time I do a word, say, like, dude, thank you so much. It was great. But you don't realize people are like, I didn't get anything out of that. So as I looked into the Greek here, this, the, these phrases, uh, deeply moved or greatly troubled, they're not phrases that mean that he was empathetic. 
when they're used in other places in the Bible, please, please, they're used of rebuke. They're used of frustration. What, what's happening here is, is Jesus has come on the scene. He's shown up. And instead of rejoicing at his coming, instead of celebrating the resurrection and the life are here, why weren't you here? Why weren't you here earlier? I didn't want to have to go through this much. And, 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 and at, the, at the belittling of who he is, he is angry. Again, if we miss that, we miss, we miss our chance to repent. If all we see is, a, is this brokenhearted God who, who weeps over, and I'm, please hear me, he does. He, the Bible makes it clear that God weeps over us and that when we are hurt and when we are in pain, he feels that and there is an empathy to God, but that's not what this is saying, I believe. From my understanding, when I first came to it and I read it, oh, that's so nice that Jesus wept over him. And the Jews even said, oh, look how he loved him. No, Jesus is, is, is disturbed. He's, if I can use a word that I don't think is right, but it's the only one I have, he's shaken in his humanity. Because here he is, he, he's there. Resurrection and life personified in a human being, love personified in a human being, and all they can do is gripe, complain, and question him. Oh, church, that we would see ourselves in that. That's me. That's me. Jesus, I'm sick of dealing with this. I'm sick of putting other people through it. I'm sick of the hard stuff. You say you're the, re- you, you declare you're the resurrection of life, then do it. But you didn't, so you won't. But Jesus declares, declares, come on. And then he demonstrates. And he walks up to the tomb. He makes them take the stone away. And with nothing more than his words. He brings life back to Lazarus. Nothing more than his words, which is not a very big feat when you stop and realize that if you read the first part of John and you've read Genesis, that God made everything with nothing more than his words. So it is nothing for a God who created all things by the power of his word alone to bring back life to a dead person with nothing but a word. Didn't mix up a potion. Didn't make a pill. This isn't Princess Bride. It wasn't chocolate coated. It's just his words. He speaks. Life comes back to Lazarus. He then calls those around to unwrap him. I think there's, I don't have time to get to it. I think there's a powerful understanding of what happens at salvation in this this story. But how we come back to life by the message of Jesus. Come on. But how we're still wrapped in grave clothes, anybody, come on in the room, still got grave clothes on and need some help from some other people to be able to walk and be able to obey Jesus and to get some of these grave clothes off. There's a powerful message about discipleship there that someday in the 50 years that I pastor here, I will gladly teach. Jesus demonstrates himself. He declares it, I am the resurrection of life, and then he demonstrates it. I do not want to be a church that does not declare 
the character and nature and attributes of our God. I, do, I refuse to be a church that does not declare the character, the nature, and the attributes of our God. I refuse it. We will declare. I, my goal every Sunday morning, anytime I get up in front of, really, I say Sunday morning, it's really anytime I get up in front of anyone. Really, Jesus is all I want to talk about. I was invited this year to go speak down in, in South America, and they said, do you love this person. They said, do you have any specific spiritual gifts or anything that we would be able to utilize while you're down here? And I said, I'm really good at talking about Jesus. I don't really got a whole lot else. I'll pray for people and believe God for their healing and I'll, I'll prophesy over people if God gives me a word. But I'm really, if you, you want me, if you want me, if you want to put me in the right position, put me up in front of a bunch of people who need to hear about Jesus and I will gladly make Jesus look as big as I possibly can. As much time as you'll give me, I'll talk about Jesus. It's the goal. I I refuse to be a church that does not do that. Clear on that? You with me? But more and more, and the longer I walk with Jesus, please hear me in this, please hear me in this, the more I declare who he is, the more passionate and the more hungry and the more visceral my desire to demonstrate who God is becomes. Paul says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of just words, but of power. It's not just talk. We do not follow a philosophy, but we follow a God who identifies himself as the resurrection and the life. First he declares it, then he demonstrates it. If I want both. I'm sick of churches either being demonstration churches or, or, or then we have, we have declaration churches. We have dead churches with good theology or we have living churches with no theology. I don't think that's right. And I don't think that's true. I think good theology leads to good life. And I think seeing what God does gives us an opportunity, like here, to say, you see how that dead guy got raised? That's because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jews thought it was too late. Mary and Martha thought that Jesus had missed the opportunity. And what none of them understood was Jesus is going, guys, this is all a setup. I'm setting up all this stuff for you. Do you you realize, I wasn't planning on going here. Do you realize that nothing in the character and nature of God required that he make you? It was by his own pleasure and for his own glory that he did it. So it's not like, it's not like Jesus needed to, one, let Lazarus die, or needed, two, to raise him back to life. But out of his own love and compassion, according to these verses for Martha and Mary and Lazarus, that's why he did it. Everyone else questioned. Everyone else wondered. Everyone else pondered. Everyone else was a skeptic. Everybody else was was standing afar off. And yet Jesus is there 
to fulfill, come on, never off his purpose, never off his mission, never distracted, never turning to the left or to the right when he ought to go straight, always staying on target, always being about his father's business, always bringing glory to himself, always doing good for man. According to verses four, five, and six, that's the whole point. It's a preview. It's what's gonna happen at the end of the age. This is what's happening to us spiritually as we move from death to life. But I have to touch on one other element here and I don't have a lot of time, so listen fast, I'm gonna talk fast. Because I've been talking so slow up till now. Verse 16 of, of chapter 11, you don't have to go there. Just want you to, I just want you to hear this again. Thomas. If I say Thomas and ask you to describe him, if you've spent any time around Christians, you're going to call him Doubting, Doubting Thomas. And I think that we have, once again, utterly missed the point. Thomas here, you have to understand, the disciples warned Jesus about going to this region because, listen to me, in their heart and in their mind, they knew if we go back there, Jesus is dead. It wasn't a question, it wasn't a doubt, it wasn't a wonder. These death threats, he's gonna die. If we let him go back there, he's gonna die. And doubting Thomas, I want you to hear doubting Thomas's reply to that in, in verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, highlight, underline, circle, bold, arrows, twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. What a doubter. Martyrs are such doubters. People willing to die for the faith are such doubters. No. Once again, my theory, my understanding of this, there is very little, welcome to do research and have coffee with me and educate me a little bit, very little to no research on why they call him the twin. Some say he had a twin brother. I have a different theory. We don't know how Thomas was called. It's not given to us in the scriptures. We have other people's calling, how Jesus called some of the disciples. We don't really know anything about Thomas until he's called as one of the 12, as he's kind of appointed as one of the 12, and then all of a sudden he's just on the scene. I personally believe, doesn't matter if you do or not, that Thomas looked like Jesus. That's why they called him the twin. Oh, it's Jesus' twin but I believe something deeper about Thomas. I believe that Thomas was desperately, madly, addictively in love with Jesus. I don't think you can be willing to go and die with somebody for what you think is their stupid mistake unless you love them. So when we fast forward now, and this I am going to ask you to turn to, John 20, verse 24. John 20, 24. Thank you all that have real Bibles. I love the sound of paper. I mean, I love the rest of you that have flat screens too, but not as much. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sort of. Uh, John 20, 24. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me catch us up here because we're a lot of verses down the road. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been resurrected. Jesus has revealed himself to some of the disciples. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, because they look like Jesus, was not with them. Was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples, catch this, please, catch this, please, catch this, please. I, I, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I know there's some Thomases in the room this morning. So the other disciples told him, that's what I'm trying to do for you right now, told him, we have seen the Lord, but he, that's Thomas, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger in the marks of the nails, the place my, and, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So Jesus poofed and magically appeared. Doesn't say that. Verse 26, eight days later. His disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the door was locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here. And see my hands and put your finger here and see my hands. Put your finger here and see my hands and put your hands and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my God, my Lord, and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's not doubting Thomas. Thomas wanted to die with Jesus. Thomas said, look, if I don't have Jesus, I don't have a purpose. We can infer from, from, from Thomas's life, along with most of the other disciples, that they were nobodies. They were, they were passed up by all the other rabbis. Their, their education had been over. They were at best blue-collar workers and at worst probably homeless or tyrants, some of them. And Timot Thomas found a purpose in Jesus and he fell in love with him. And when Jesus was gonna go to a dangerous place and die, Thomas was like, sign me up. Let's go, let's go with him and die. I'm not staying here. If he's going there to die, I'm going there to die. I don't want to live without Jesus, so let's go. And then Jesus is crucified, and he dies, and Thomas is sitting there going, no, 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 no. This is not how it was supposed to happen. He's gone, and I can't live. He, he died, and he left me. I'm not done. I'm not done with him, and he's done with me. He left me. And then a bunch of nut jobs come around and go, oh, he's back to life. And Thomas goes, don't even talk. Look, he doesn't say unless I see him, I'll believe. He says, unless I dig my fingers into the wounds in his body, I'm not buying it. And Jesus leaves him there for eight days. He leaves him. And in a room, I love the way the Bible words it, in a room with the door shut and locked. Come on, I don't know who you are, but somebody's here with a locked door. You're going, I don't care. Say what you want about Lazarus and him being raised to life and Jesus declaring Jesus and demonstrating Jesus. I've come to the altar for the last time. I've tried it for the last time. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm done. 
And Jesus shows up. And he rebukes him. Don't, don't miss that. Because here's why I believe he rebukes him. Verse 29. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed. That word means happy. Joyful. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Joy is not found. Please hear me. I love you. Please hear me. Joy is not found in the manifestation of the answer to your prayer. Joy is found in belief in Jesus regardless of the outcome of your prayer. Not doubting Thomas, broken hearted Thomas, shattered dreams Thomas, dashed faith Thomas, no hope Thomas. I'd be good with any of these titles, but not doubting. Thomas never, never doubted Jesus. He never doubted whether or not Jesus was Messiah or not. He knew he was. And so that's why he knew he wouldn't leave me. Messiah has finally come and I got to be close to him and I got to love him and he loved me. He wouldn't do this to me. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't. I'm not buying it. I'm not believing it. I'm done. Listen to me. I don't know who you are. If I did, I would just talk to you privately. There is a resurrection for your hope. He is the resurrection and the life. He doesn't have it. He is resurrection and life. I don't know what dream you have that's dead. I don't know what hope you have that's lost. I don't know. Some of you I do, I'll be honest. And I don't know if you're the one I'm talking to this morning. But there is resurrection and life because there is Jesus. Jesus.